Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief for November 3rd, 2023. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I'm going to start off with some congratulations uh, to Associate Chief Justice Lawrence O'Neill of the Supreme Court Family Division in Nova Scotia announced yesterday his retirement or sort of retirement. He is now he's the Associate Chief Justice of the Family Division of the Supreme Court. He's going to go to supernumerary status. And what that means is uh, he's sort of retired. He can be brought back in like a, like a substitute teacher or something to hear cases, uh, but won't be sitting uh, regularly and will take longer vacations. So congratulations to uh, Justice O'Neill. Known him for uh, many years and he ascended very quickly uh, when he became a judge 15, 16 years ago uh, to Associate Chief Justice status. and. Uh, has uh, served us quite well on the on the bench. So congratulations and happy uh, semi-retirement. All right, so things I want to talk about this week, I'm going to start off with some comments on the uh, big news of the week, which is the carbon tax. Quite a legal story. Uh, taxes are always laws, though. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that. Plus, the main spokesperson from the Nova Scotia caucus is a uh, an MP who was a lawyer, at least briefly, before he was elected. Uh, Cody Boyce. So I'll talk about that in a little, little bit. And some of the national news that's going on as well. That's a national story. Indigenous over incarceration report came out and the foreign interference inquiry is starting. And I'll talk about some Nova Scotia cases that were released this week. Uh, the big one I'm going to talk about at the end is this Cole Harbor homicide uh, issue. Uh, Holly uh, Boland who was killed uh, in a homicide on uh, Tuesday of this week. And that's calling into question some of the uh, the bail system in Nova Scotia and the justice system. So I'll get to that. There's a few other cases that uh, caught my attention this week. One that was in the news uh, with the new judge, uh, Bronwyn Duffy, making a decision on a... Um, uh, and making some points on how to identify uh, accused, make sure that you get the right person. And then interesting case from the uh, New Glasgow Jubilee on a liquor control case and the powers of arrest. So... Uh, interesting case out of New Glasgow there. It was decided this week from Judge Atwood. So let's start off with the uh, carbon tax uh, announcement. People will know that the uh, Prime Minister announced that the application of the carbon tax was going to be suspended on home heating oil, something that was going to uh, and will affect mostly Atlantic Canadian uh, home uh, homeowners heating their places with oil, disproportionate number of Atlantic Canadians compared to the rest of the country. And so this certainly was something transparently aimed at the Atlantic uh, polling numbers, with the Liberals going way down in the polls. Notice that uh, Cody Blois, uh, who's the uh, Atlantic Caucus chair, uh, was has been the spokesperson, uh, and really the author and the driving force behind this, uh, which... I think could be probably considered now the biggest political blunder of this government. It's certainly a self-imposed political blunder, and that's saying something. I heard an interview with uh, Cody Blois on The Current a couple of mornings ago with Matt Galloway, and it was a little strange. He, Cody uh, Blois was saying, well, uh, Matt Galloway, I know that you're from this small town in Ontario. I looked it up, did some research for this interview, and... You know, that's a rural area and people there are going to benefit from this policy change too, not just Atlanta Canadians. Anyway, it came off a little strange, like a, a little bit stalkerish uh, of doing that kind of research. But 
any event, uh, to me, it's, uh, and many people I think have said this, it's undermining their own signature policy. And really, for what benefit, if any? Uh, who, unclear as to whether there's going to be any electoral benefit. I know they're trying to save some seats here in Atlantic Canada, but, uh, you know, they may get some temporary gratitude or from or give relief to Atlantic Canadians, but, you know, if people are anti-carbon tax, they're still not going to vote for the government that brought them in. Uh, and now, you know, for the marginal benefit they might get from Atlantic Canadian voters, they've upset the rest of the country even more so and really undermine their own signature policy, as I've said. And I've heard this compared to the Mulroney's uh, GST situation. And the government of the Brian Mulroney is very unpopular. It looked like things were going the wrong way electoral, electorally for them. But he didn't do anything with the GST, kept it in place. And in fact, that has remained uh, government policy ever since. So it's given Prime Minister Mulroney a legacy. So whenever he gives a speech now, he can point to, like, you know, I, you build up political capital so you can spend it, so you can do something good. And this is, you know, that's an example of something he can claim to have done. And now uh, Trudeau, no matter what happens after this, is going to have a more difficult time uh, claiming the carbon tax as a, a legacy piece. So, um, anyway, we'll see where that goes. Uh, again, uh, Cody Blois, a uh, lawyer who was elected after not very long in practice to the King's Hands uh, seat, uh, I don't think doing a great job as spokesperson on this change, which has been criticized across the country. Okay, uh, next national story this Indigenous Over Incarceration Report came out this week. And the Correctional Investigator of Canada, his name is Ivan Zinger, gave a press conference. This was on a report was 10 years since Spirit Matters. Spirit Matters was a report that came out 10 years ago that talked about how 25% of federal inmates are from Indigenous backgrounds. Well, now the figure is 32%. So uh, Mr. Zinger calling this uh, a national travesty. Uh, and the most pressing human rights challenge in our country. And in fact, his suggestion is t for a devolution of correctional power to Indigenous people. So in other words, uh, they, Indigenous offenders would not go into the federal system any longer, but would, uh, they would have a new system developed with their own philosophies and practices in mind. Uh, one of the other notes that came out is these uh, you know, healing centers, uh, traditional healing lodges that are attached to some federal institutions are completely underfunded. Elders are not being respected in their views on sentencing. And uh, so it's, it's going very bad. But the other point he makes is that the Canadian uh, um, security uh, correctional services is what he calls playing a game of recognition politics. So they've learned how to quote, talk the talk of reconciliation to increase its resource base well, concerns and stall for even more time. So that's something. Uh, so they they can sound like they, you know, understand the indigenous concerns and concerns of indigenous uh, offenders, but they're not really putting anything into place. So we'll see if that gets any attention. Certainly, uh, there should be some changes there. I see it in practice uh, quite often. The over over representation certainly. The other national story mentions the news came out this week that the foreign interference inquiry this is the interference into the 2019 and 2021 elections by china russian government and others and that is subject to an inquiry and 
So this week there's just an announcement that they're going to soon be inviting participation. This is uh, Justice Marie-Jose Hogue that was uh, running this inquiry. There's an interim report. So it looks like they're going to do hearings in the early uh, like winter and spring of 2024, possibly into the fall. There's an interim report due in February of 2024. I'm not sure why that report would be prepared, but maybe to set up the the testimony in the future uh, report, which is to be released in November of next year. So uh, we're expecting the report then. And uh, Justice Hogue has uh, indicated that she is hope she's has going to make this as open as possible. So we'll see what that means in practice once the inquiry gets underway next next year in 2024 not too far away so uh, those are some national stories i want to talk about a few nova scotia cases one uh, this story keeps coming back because william sanderson who is now self-represented is appealing again his latest conviction this is his second conviction appealed successfully uh, but has been convicted now of second degree murder and has been sentenced to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 15 years so he's appealing the sentence and the verdict doing these both on his own the appeal is scheduled to be heard next June. Sanderson is in custody. He's applying, he applied for bail. And the bail plan was rejected. Rejected without uh, too much consideration, it looks like, from Justice uh, Farrar of the Court of Appeal. But Sanderson, this was the plan he came up with. It's a very uh, comprehensive plan in a way, but uh, I don't know if it would have mattered what he presented. He had five sureties, his parents and brothers, two brothers, he was going to wear a GPS tracker at all times. One of his sureties was to be with him at all times. And the uh, police, he was going to give the police access to cameras on his farm in Truro where his parents live where he was going to be staying. But Justice Farrar rejected that. He's still, uh, Sanderson is still in custody and will remain there. I said, first of all, the appeal itself is very weak looking. Uh, you don't want to prejudge anything, but uh, given the comments in the decision and the way that Justice Chipman uh, addressed it and the way the jury came back very quickly with the verdict, Justice Farrar looked at all of that and says it's a very weak-looking appeal, unlikely to succeed. And then, secondly, there's a strong public interest in the case and uh, an interest in somebody like William Sanderson being behind bars. So, uh, for those reasons, uh, that was rejected out of hand. No surprise, you see somebody self-represented going in making a bail application, uh, usually that means it's a Hail Mary pass and there's very little chance of it uh, succeeding so that was that was that one next one is says Fox is the last name of the accused in this case was a decision out of uh, Dartmouth a new judge relatively new uh, appointed this year judge Roman Duffy who was a lawyer of uh, Stellarton and the case was a prowling at night allegation with an arson allegation attached to it so guy looks out his window and sees somebody by his car and doesn't get a great look at him but goes out confronts him and uh, there's a struggle he follows him for a bit the other guy assaults the owner and uh, gets away so he then the uh, victim then is shown a Facebook photo by his daughter and seems like that's the guy. If that's not him, that's his twin. He, uh, you know, positively identifies the person and then that's it. So the police, that's the only real evidence. There's no 
there's no other physical evidence tying Fox to the scene. He was a homeless guy at the at times, and probably at that time he wasn't sure. His memory wasn't great from the time. Usually hung out in Halifax, not Dartmouth. But so there was nothing tying him to the situation other than he looked like this guy, long blonde hair. So it was there was some distinguishing features. But the police didn't do any photo ID lineup. They didn't show the complainant. All right, what about these other five? white guys with long blonde hair does he look like any of those could it be one of those they didn't do any of those things and so judge duffy criticized that as tunnel vision uh, so what happens is you you're it's the tunnel vision enhancement process so you look at one photo that seems like it's the person and then all of a sudden it clicks in your mind that that is the person and it uh, it can affect your memory it really can so uh, that's more difficult in this case, uh, she noted, because it was an emotional, he was in an emotional state, he was in a fight. Uh, the that So that undermines some of the reliability of his identification. Not to say that the person was being dishonest, but it's a natural tendency to uh, think you see somebody, uh, sometimes under those circumstances, when you don't or you could be mistaken about if it's this person or that person that looked somewhat similar. So... Uh, Judge Duffy was uh, critical of the police on this one for uh, not going through the steps of trying to find, uh, you know, do better provide better identification evidence uh, to the trial. And uh, she said those kind of steps are especially important, like in this case where there's no corroborating evidence of any kind. Right, so uh, that was so. Hopefully, the uh, the police will uh, learn from that one and, and give better identification evidence in such cases. Next one, uh, Cloet is the woman's last name, K-L-O-E-T, Cloet, probably. This is a Judge Atwood decision, Judge uh, Del Atwood out of uh, New Glasgow, Hector County, self-represented. And so one of the questions was, so the judge identified, Judge Atwood identified a defense for this woman in her resisting arrest trial. And one of the questions was, can the judge of their own volition identify a defense that the the self-represented person themselves hasn't thought of and provide it to them and acquit on that basis the answer is yes yes they can it was limited to a limited extent i mean you know the judge can't be in there digging and asking a lot of questions and trying to uh you know make a case where there isn't one but where there's a clear defense or a clear hole in the crown case then uh, they're obligated, in fact, to to assist a self-represented person. Here's the here's the situation. This was at the Jubilee this year, uh, July 31st, and it was uh, these three individuals, including Miss uh, Cluett, were outside of the boundaries where they were allowed to consume alcohol. They had drinks in their hands, and the officer goes to them and says, "Pour them out." Okay, and then the officer, Constable Shipley, sees them a few minutes later over by the East Side Bridge and sees one of them, not Miss Cluett, holding uh, a can. And so he says, pour it out. And instead, the woman pours it back and drinks it. So trying to, uh, the officer was going to arrest her, calls over Detective Sergeant Jason uh, McKinnon. Uh, to deal with uh, help deal with the situation and so 
as the officer was arresting the friend, uh, Miss Kluwick got very upset with the situation and started to get involved. And uh, so the uh, officer, uh, Constable, uh, uh, sorry, Detective Sergeant McKinnon comes over and arrests her, arrests her for resisting, uh, resisting or she's charged with resisting, resisting arrest. He arrests her under the Liquor Control Act for open liquor, for, sorry, illegally possessing liquor. Okay. So she's arrested originally for illegally possessing liquor. Then she resists that arrest and is further charged criminally uh, with, with that. So what did the judge identify? The problem was with the initial arrest. Okay, so the Liquor Control Act requires that uh, the arresting officer finds the person committing the act. So it can't be like in, a, in some criminal code matters where, you know, you know the person has done something and uh, you have evidence to that effect, you can arrest them, arrest them for doing so uh, at a later time. With a Liquor Control Act situation, the legislation says you need to find, you have to find them committing it. So the problem here was Constable Shipley saw Miss Cluett with the open alcohol earlier. Uh, Detective Sergeant McKinnon did not. He was he was off doing something else and was only called in after the situation escalated. And so uh, that was not a legitimate arrest under the Liquor Control Act. And so you can't be charged with resisting that arrest when the arrest itself wasn't legitimate. So that was it. She was uh, found, she was acquitted. Uh, interesting little case there. Liquor Control Act uh, cases uh, lawyers don't often get involved in. Uh, you can get some unusual results sometimes. So uh, good for Judge Atwood for identifying that and helping out Miss Cluett. Okay, last thing I want to talk about, this is a sad story out of uh, Cole Harbor, and this is uh, Holly Boland. Um, homicide on Monday. I think I said Tuesday earlier. It was 3 p.m. on Monday, so right after school. And Miss Boland uh, was going back to school herself. I read a report. She has three children. And this seemed like a, a boyfriend or an acquaintance, at least. Uh, I think uh, probably a, an intimate partner situation. Uh, Aaron Crawley. And he has been charged with first-degree murder. So intentional, uh, intentional, intention to commit murder. So the situation appears from what the reports are that they were at a, a home in Cole Harbor having an argument in uh, a car, a Mercedes, as pointed out. And a woman, another woman came along, seemed to notice that there was a fight, a good Samaritan, she's been called, uh, went to intervene, tried, I think, to open the door to get Miss Boland out. But as that was happening, Crawley backed up the car and knocked Miss Boland out of the car in the course of doing that, and then used the car to uh, run the two of them over, Miss Boland and the intervener. Now Miss Boland died later in hospital. The intervener has been uh, was badly injured and was hospitalized as well. Uh, Crawley uh, fled at the time. Uh, now, I mean it's a terrible situation, but significant in making the news and and getting a lot of commentary because. Crawley was arrested twice already this year. First on May 24th when he was released on consent and then secondly on June 8th when he was arrested and on June 8th 
it was a contested a contested bail hearing the crown opposed his release the judge who is Brad Sarson, a former defense lawyer, well-regarded uh, former defense lawyer, released him on $6,200 in bail. No driving. He was not allowed to be driving or in the driver's seat of a vehicle. Okay, so he was violating his, he was definitely violating his conditions in other ways, and he was on uh, house arrest. So house arrest usually means 24-7 except for, you know, um, going to work or medical emergencies such such things so he seemed to be breaching his conditions uh he had pled not guilty to those earlier offenses or earlier allegations and so that meant he was you know eligible for bail we don't know a lot about bail hearing uh, the bail hearing that on uh, june 8th that led to his release and so of course many people are now criticizing judge sarson and i see troublingly that Brian Cox, who I spoke about last week, is making the news again. This is the head of the uh, Crown Prosecutors Association in Nova Scotia. Quite inflammatory language in the news reports I've seen, calling the bail system uh, the bail system uh, failure and the justice. This was a failing of the bail system and a failing of the justice system. Uh, and so he identifies those two things as failing. Now. I, particular cases we can we can look at of course but for a person in his position to be undermining the faith in the justice system in that way I think is a, a little troubling like last week when he was talking about how there's not enough crown prosecutors I kind of I, I was a little concerned that he might be undermining faith in the justice system by making those comments but I presume that there must have been some background discussions that weren't going well with the Justice Department that all right in an exasperated or all right this is we've done everything we can quietly we make have to make some noise in order to correct this problem this is not quite the same I mean uh, difficult uh, bail decisions are difficult you cannot predict the future a judge can't say what everybody is going to do uh, in the future people are presumed innocent and entitled to reasonable bail conditions he was released on strict bail conditions course I'm sure Judge Sarson is uh, uh, you know having some thoughts about the his decision now but we don't know we don't know what the evidence was because bail hearings are uh, you can't publicize what takes place in the bail hearing because it would tend to prejudice the eventual trial because in the bail hearing you do get into a limited weighing of the evidence you know so the bail hearing is is there is there a plan in place are there ways to keep people safe non-contact orders uh, sureties that are you know there to look after and make sure that the person's obeying their conditions but you don't know until uh, until things happen whether they're going to happen uh, so there must have been there would have been in the bail hearing some limited uh, assessment of the June 8th allegations uh, so we don't know but Certainly, uh, we'll, uh, this will all come under greater scrutiny as, as time goes on. Um, but I think for the head of the Crown Prosecutors Association to automatically say, well, you know, this is a failure of, of the bail system. Well, this is a feature of the bail system that people that get out on bail are still going to commit other crimes. And 
Uh, you know, maybe in this case it didn't, there should have been more conditions or he should have been kept in, but you know, you can't just keep everybody in jail uh, on uh, uncertain risks. So that's how I'd think of that one. A uh, very unfortunate situation though, of course. So, okay. Uh, those were the, those are the highlights of this week that I wanted to address. If um, people are looking for more content, it'll be on Sunday night with uh, Jordan Bonaparte, with uh, Paul Polango on the Sunday night show at uh, 9.15 p.m. on live on YouTube. And look forward to that discussion, always engaging. And uh, otherwise, we'll uh, check in on some of the cases for next week and be back to report on them. So uh, thanks, everybody, for checking in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.